came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. Dr. Peter Mihalos, how do we live longer? We have Mario Tonomo on the report on Europe. Larry Kudlow on the economy. Dr. Sky, when we look at the sky, what do we see this week? Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker in the House, and maybe the future speaker. No one really knows. And let's start off with an exclusive. The former Prime Minister of Canada, Stephen Harper, on what's going on in the world. With us today is former Prime Minister of the country of Canada, Stephen Joseph Harper, and he's Prime Minister from 2006 to 2015. He did a fine job and a great job in, in Canada. Uh, Prime Minister, uh, tell us, uh, the world is in a big mess. And right now, uh, how do you view what the heck is going on? Well, look, it, it is an enormous mess, uh, John, and... First of all, thanks for having me. You and I have spoken many times in the past, but I'm delighted to be on your show for the first occasion. Look, three things very quickly. Geopolitics. We spent a generation or more trying to pretend that Russia, China, Iran, and others were our friends, uh, finding out that wasn't true. And they've been, you know, obviously planning to overturn the, the global democratic order. We have spent ourselves, borrowed and spent and printed money into oblivion. And now we have a essentially stagflation coming on in many countries as a consequence of that. And, of course, our, our politics have been disrupted by, you know, what I call um, the division between elites and populists. People talk about the rise of populism. I think it's largely about elites that have been out of touch and done a lot of things that have damaged the interests of ordinary people. So between all of these things, the world, the democratic world in particular, is in terrible turmoil. Prime Minister, ever since we uh, changed governments here and in the United States uh, a few years ago, uh, and the pipeline was shut off, uh, or the oil pipeline, uh, that was the new one that was called the Keystone Pipeline. Right. There's been world. There's been a world turmoil in oil prices, and you are you are one of the world's experts on energy. Uh, tell us what the heck is going on, because the American people don't understand it. Sure. Look, I, I, I'll try and put it really simply. There are three blocks of oil producers in the world. There's the traditional OPEC led by the Saudis. There's what's now called the OPEC Plus group led by Russia. And there are, you know, the market-oriented, free, or free market-oriented producers led by the United States, of which Canada is a significant part. And, you know, what has happened is that the, the Saudis have determined that they want to keep oil prices in a 70 to $90 band. And they've got the full cooperation of the Russian bloc to do that, partly because the Russians can't afford to make enemies of the Saudis right now. The Russians have made enough enemies, as we all know. And with, you know, the current administration and the government in Canada taking Canada and the United States out of the 
game of, of being major energy producers are doing their best to do that. They have allowed um, that other block to effectively control prices, and they're going to keep them reasonably high. They're going to try, you know, John, they're going to try and prevent them. They're not going to keep them really high. They're going to try and prevent them from going over 90 or certainly 100. But, you know, given the restrictions on oil development in our countries and in some other parts of the world for for other reasons, um, they're going to be able to keep them high. So uh, they don't want to put the world out of business, uh, but they certainly want to closer to the $90 level than the uh, $65 or $70 level that uh, North America would like it at. Yeah, they won't, they won't let it go below 70 for any extended period of time. And they'll, they'll be keeping it closer to 90. You're absolutely right. And, and given supply and demand, and as I say, given the determination of some Western governments to restrict oil production and given problems in some oil producers like Venezuela – they're not going to have a hard time keeping those prices high, even as the global economy slows. Uh, so, uh, and what I've said publicly was that uh, Russia is uh, using a lot of their newfound uh, uh, gold, uh, being the, uh, uh, the the profits on oil, uh, in their I guess for their war on Ukraine. And the question is, is Iran using it against Israel? Uh, because Iran is now. Uh, doing three million barrels a day, and it was down to one. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, you know, it isn't just against Ukraine. I mean, Russia has been using the revival of oil prices ever since Putin came into power to rebuild their military and become a competitor around the world. This is this is is not new. It it, it took the full scale invasion of Ukraine in 2022 for most people to catch on to that, but that's what's been happening. Um, Iran, uh, you know, Iran still faces restricted markets, but they are selling their oil. And of course, they um, they have um, used it to fund terrorism and and foment revolution around the world, including Hamas. And, you know, look, John, it's not a secret. I know the uh, U.S. administration wants to deny it and the Israelis, for their own part, don't want to admit it either. But uh, the reality is, you know, your government just gave $6 billion to Iran, and a big chunk of that went into exactly what we're seeing now in Gaza. It's certainly a, a major problem. Um, it is. So we're going to be – either we're going to be at $70 or $90 no matter what. Yeah, we're going to be between 70 and 90 but I think we're going to be at the high end of that. Um, because, as I say, look, John, for, for the, the very simple reason is this. Um, in spite of what environmentalists say, and, and you know, we can debate, uh, there's certainly desirable that the world emit less carbon, carbon dioxide. But the reality is that the demand for oil continues to rise. It is, and, and it is going to rise based on the data we have today going to rise every year for the for the foreseeable future. I know some dispute that, but there is no basis when they make those statements. The oil demand continues to rise. So as we restrict supply and we restrict supply in market-oriented countries like the United States, like Canada and elsewhere, all we do is push the price higher and hand control of global oil markets to non-market producers, to those who want to keep the prices as absolutely high as possible. Understood. And since we've been restricting the markets in North America, 
uh, the, the, pop, the prices is going to be on the higher end. Uh, but the other problem that's happening, uh, Prime Minister, is uh, the only uh, uh, thing to control inflation is interest rates. And uh, the United States is having a serious problem uh, with their interest rates and what they're doing to the rest of the country in the, in the real estate industry and as well as the, uh, as the banking industry. Yeah, you and I have discussed this, John, and we, we maybe have a, a little bit of a different uh, take. Um, first of all, the, the, the Federal Reserve, the central bank, can do more than just restrict inter- or raise interest rates to reduce inflation. They're also reducing the size of their balance sheet. And both Canada, Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve are doing that. So there are various ways to reduce inflation, but the best and most effective way is to raise uh, interest rates. And, um, you know, my, my own judgment, and, uh, you know, we can argue that maybe they've raised them too high, but the reality is that, um, you know, they have to get uh, inflation down. If they don't get inflation down, interest rates will go up. Anyway, and you are seeing rates rise even on longer term government securities for this exact reason. So I think they've got to get inflation down. Look, I think the unfortunate reality is that the central banks completely goofed during the um, during the pandemic. Um, There's no doubt they had to provide additional liquidity to the market. But what you saw in our countries was at a time when economic activity was being restricted by government rules and regulations, so you couldn't stimulate the economy, it was, it's, its activity was restricted, central banks poured trillions of dollars of money into the economy. And frankly, I think the inflation is a lot higher than, than official figures admit. Um, it shouldn't have happened, but it has. And getting ourselves out of this, um, out of this, uh, difficulty is not going to be easy and it's it's made doubly hard by the fact that as the central bank is raising rates to try and restrict money supply you have governments both in canada the united states and elsewhere running enormous deficits that in and of themselves create inflationary pressures so you know until i I tell john john i tell people you can't fix all of this with just playing with interest rates and money supply and deficits. The only way we've got to get our economies back on track is what we did in the 80s, and that's to do supply-oriented, uh, market-oriented, business-led economic growth. As long as we do the policies of the 1970s, high deficits, you know, lots of money, uh, we're going to get the results of the 1970s, and that's where we're at. Uh, Prime Minister, we have a few minutes left. What else would you like to tell uh, the people of the world? I mean, you're in the world market, and I know you're very close to the Jewish community in New York. Uh, where does this go? Where does this end? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty pretty well known that I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm look not only a big supporter of Israel, big supporter of Ukraine. John, when I was in office. Uh, a lot of people would often raise their eyebrows at how strongly my foreign policy was focused on supporting Israel and Ukraine. And, you know, this is 10, 15 years ago, and people wondered why I spent so much time on these two countries. And the reason was simple. These are two democratic allies that are under existential threat. And we have now learned how real those threats are. 
Um, obviously, I can all I can do is urge uh, the United States and all of our allies to continue to support these countries. It is devastatingly important that we support our allies in Ukraine and fight our enemies in Russia. These are enemies of the United States and Canada, and the people we're supporting are on our side. I don't know how much simpler it can get. Hamas and the forces it uh, represents are enemies of the United States. They are enemies of Canada. Uh, Israel is a friend and ally of this country and of your country. So it is just so important we support them, and it's so important we understand, John, if I can say that, you know, this is, we're fighting something akin, the Israelis are fighting something akin to Nazism. And we saw this on the, the, you know, on the weekend. Hamas and these groups, like, they're not, this is not a territorial dispute. This is not a dispute over Israeli government policy. These are people who hate Jews on such a level that they want to destroy Israel simply because it's a Jewish state, and they want to kill Jews simply because they are Jews. And the only way for Israel to deal with this is to eradicate this movement. And look, it's going to be bloody. It's going to involve civilian as well as military casualties. But when we were denazifying Europe, we had to do the same thing. And unless and until Israel is doing this, this will continue. So I just call on everybody to support our friends and allies as they fight these forces that if they had a chance would destroy our countries as well would destroy the United States and destroy Canada. It is important we stand up against uh, these kinds of um, these kinds of evil uh, um, groups and, and regimes in the world. Prime Minister, I agree with you 110%. And the world's in a pickle. Uh, Russia, are they going to cooperate somewhere along the line? I, I, I could not understand President Biden when, when he told the Ukraine you could fight the war in the Ukraine, but don't step over the line in Russia. We're never going to get cooperation from Russia. Look, I, I spent many years uh, in the company and international meetings with George W. Bush and then with Barack Obama. I watched those American presidents and, and their predecessors try and make an ally out of Russia. You cannot make an ally or a partner out of Russia. Vladimir Putin is determined to be our enemy at all costs. And he will never be cooperative. And if he is cooperative, you can't trust him. So, you know, we just, uh, and, and as I say, we should be supporting the Ukrainians as strong as we support the Israelis, and we should be opposing Putin's regime as strongly as we oppose Hamas. Prime Minister, anything else you want to tell North America or the world? No, look, uh, it's a delight to be on. I, I should just mention, John, that uh, I appreciate your introduction besides being a former prime minister i i do hold a a current political role i actually chair the global federation of conservative parties which includes you know not just my conservative party of canada but your republican party and uh, conservative party in britain the christian democrats in germany so i'm uh, an advocate for uh, conservatism around the world and certainly um an advocate for uh, you know all that benefits the the western alliance and and a great supporter and admirer of all the values and interests that canada and the united states share so it's been a delight to be on your program prime minister stephen joseph harper thank you so much for being on the show and i look forward to having more discussions in the future thank you john this is the cats roundtable we'll be right back welcome back to the cats roundtable
With us today is Dr. Peter Mihalos, our in-house genius, historian, medical expert, and uh, I understand, Dr. Mihalos, on your traveling overseas and on your trip overseas, you saved another life on the, on the airplane. Yeah, it was somebody who uh, had passed out, and uh, Dr. Ken Mark and I uh, intervened and had to set up IVs, and somebody whose heart rate was 124 and blood pressure was 70 over 40, thank God, we were able to resuscitate that person, and they did fine. But uh, it's always scary, and that's why uh, when we travel abroad, we always remind our audience that your U.S. health insurance does not cover you abroad, and you should always get travel insurance, which includes medical evacuation and covering you medical for at least 50000 And we have at least five people that we know who ended up using it abroad. So that's just a reminder, because people think when they go to the Caribbean, they're covered. You go to Puerto Rico or U.S. Virgin Islands, you are covered. You go one island over to Aruba or St. Bart's, you're not covered. So always remind our audience to please get travel insurance. And they they assume that their credit card covers them, but it doesn't. They give you guidance, but you still end up getting a bill. But And always remember to bring your medications. Another little tip for traveling on airplanes, if you travel with any medicines that need to be refrigerated, use a small thermos, put two ice cubes in a Ziploc baggie. So any drops or insulin or other medicines that have to be kept cool, you just keep them in a little thermos. So that's another little travel tip. And on airplanes, because it's very dry for dry eye, lubricate your eyes. But today we're going to talk about a topic that everyone's interested in, and that is anti-aging. And we're going to start off with our skin. And our skin is actually our should largest play, organ in the I body. Play, doctor, should I play the music, staying alive, staying alive? Absolutely. It's all about... Uh, health span, not just lifespan. We want to stay alive as long as possible, and we want to die young at an old age. So it's all about health, because in the end, that's all we have, protect our mental and physical health, and that's why people need to listen, and we're going to give them a lot of health tips today. And we're going to start off with the most important, because we're made of mostly water, and water is very important for our skin health. It plumps the skin, and it keeps our blood thin. We get less heart attacks and strokes when we're well hydrated, because our blood flows thin, like thin skim milk instead of like thick half and half, and that's why hydration is so important, especially in the summer. That's why people get more heart attacks and strokes. We hear about when they're out playing tennis or sports or golf in the heat. As we get older, people are afraid to have to run to the bathroom all the time, so they forget to drink enough fluids. So hydration is very, very important. The other thing for anti-aging, it turns out that sleep hygiene is critical. you got to try to get as much sleep, and it doesn't necessarily mean you get it all at once. For some of us, who as we get older, we need to wake up and use the toilet. You can still catch up with your sleep. Or like you and I talk about sometimes, we do sleep catch up on weekends. But during that sleep period, it turns out that the brain even has a mechanism where it cleans out dead and dying cells and does rejuvenation. So that's why we feel so much better mentally after we sleep. And taking care of your skin also includes avoiding, minimizing the use of alcohol and minimizing and avoiding smoking because we now know that collagen and elastin, which are needed for facial structure, are uh, inhibited and blocked by something and smoke, which we don't know. And also we now, if you have have light eyes and you smoke, you have a fourfold increased incidence in getting macular degeneration after your age of 75. So those are other anti-aging tips. We also know that stress 
avoidance is not a good thing because now they've shown in recent literature when we're stressed out or when we fear we have an ancient mechanism and we think we're going to be attacked or in battle or attacked by an animal, our, our clotting system goes into activation in anticipation of bleeding and trauma. And that's why people who are totally stressed out, sometimes they wake up and they worry about everything. They get more heart attacks and strokes because your clotting system goes into overdrive when you're stressed out. So that's why stress avoidance, some of the things that are important to reduce stress are exercise. And again, you don't have to do a lot, but short bursts of exercise. It tells the body, get ready, prepare yourself for battle, even if it's five minutes of intense exercise, you know, every day that helps. Meditation and yoga, I was recently speaking to uh, Gloria Dr. Dr. Peter, in other words, when you feel stressed out, that's the time you should do more exercise because it's like preparing your body for battle. Absolutely. When you prepare your body for battle, and when your body thinks that there's adversity, it turns on all these genes and repair mechanisms, and it it then turns on something called autophagy, from the Greek word autophago, to auto-eat the bad and dying cells, and it tells your body, hey, get ready. Because if you run on a treadmill super fast for five minutes and you your body thinks that you're running away from a saber-toothed tiger, it's an ancient mechanism that says, hey, you need to be able and ready and be prepared. So short bursts of exercise, and that's what they call interval training, where people do a burst, rest, burst turns out to sometimes be more effective. Now we're finding out the long-distance runners, like the marathon runners, they actually end up having more health problems, more atrial fibrillation, more heart problems. And I always tell people, in the original Greek marathon run for 26 miles, the guy actually died at the end of the run. So you're better off doing short bursts of energy and sometimes it can be even at your desk they have those hand grippers you can do that multiple times and then take a break and do it again and that's exercise believe it or not and even just taking walks and doing a certain number of steps a day you don't have to be in great shape to do a certain number of steps but when you also walk you also make your bowels move better you have more regular bowel movements why because of gravity and a lot of abdominal muscles keep moving so even walking is is a great exercise and people who walk a lot they tend to to have less cardiovascular problems because you keep everything moving. Same thing with high blood pressure. When your blood ve- when you sit all the time, your blood vessels stay in one position. That's when they get hardening of the arteries and they don't move. But just simple bursts of exercise cause the elastic walls of the arteries to open and close. And when you keep them opening and closing, they're less likely to harden and get stiff and you're less likely to get coronary arteries, artery disease, strokes. And again, it doesn't have to be long periods of exercise. And some of the other things I was just about to say was I was talking to a health coach, uh, Gloria Pope, who tells people about meditation and yoga and peace of mind is priceless. And all these things are so important as a total package. And you don't have to spend a lot of energy. If you can spend a half hour or an hour towards your health instead of, you know, three, four hours a day on the uh, television or, you know, the uh, internet, you can definitely add to your age and also the foods as we've talked about like the mediterranean diet it turns out that extra virgin olive oil and avocados have the secret sauce called oleic acid and the people in the cultures that have oleic acid it turns on these longevity genes and repair genes called sirtuins and it seems that that's the common theme 
in the Mediterranean areas of Icaria, Greece, Sardinia, Italy, Loma Linda, California with the avocados and places in Japan like Okinawa. Some of these root vegetables are loaded with these phytochemicals called oleic acid. And that's why uh, you and I are always trying to eat avocados, mushrooms. And the goal is to try to have 20 different plants a week. And that includes whether it's a pumpkin seed, a Brazil nut, a piece of spinach or a mushroom. Those are considered plants. One last question, because we're almost out of time. I got a scratch the other day, and I was scratched, and on my counter was alcohol and peroxide. And I remember we discussed this before, but nobody remembers. What is peroxide good for, and what is alcohol good for? Well, alcohol burns a lot more if you put it directly on a, on a cut. The best thing actually to do when you get a scratch is to wash it intensely with soap and water. And if you're not allergic to uh, neomycin polymyxin over the counter, the neosporin type ointments, you apply that. And then during sleep, you can have a Band-Aid on it so it doesn't wipe off. But that's the most effective. The peroxide is good for cleaning dirty wounds after surgical care, after Mohs surgery. They use that. Alcohol, if you have nothing else, obviously burns and kills bacteria on the spot. But it's very painful. But good old-fashioned soap and water, followed by a topical antibiotic, usually around three times a day, and consult with your physician, of course, before you do anything, but that's usually the standard of care and the, reduces the chance of getting an infection because there are so many resistant bugs going around, and we're waiting and excited that new, uh, new better antibiotics are being developed that will soon be out to deal with these resistant bugs like we're seeing, like the TB we talked about that's coming into the United States. New York just reported last year 500 new cases of TB. So the new generation of antibiotics will be very helpful because as we learned, viruses and bacteria have intelligence as we taught people and they're learning how to get better at avoiding treatments and the antibacterial and antiviral um, treatments. Well, thank you, Dr. Peter Mihalos, and uh, travel safe and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks, John, and thanks, Margo, for all you do in getting the truth out to our audience around the country and the world. This is the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to wabcradio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. With us today is Mario Economo a former banker in the, uh, in North America as well as Europe. And uh, he's been reporting to us on the economic conditions uh, in Europe. Mario, uh, what's, uh, any updates? What's going on in Europe? Yes, good morning. So everybody is stunned uh, with respect to the events that unfolded last weekend regarding the attack by Hamas into Israel. Europe is stunned for some uh, reason. This has actually hit to the core substantially more than when Russia invaded Ukraine. I think people are stunned. I think it's important, though, for everybody to sit down and to think logically and not emotionally. And that includes all sides and all players in all parts of the world. The last thing we want to see is this to escalate tremendously out of control and to pull different parties, uh, different countries in, which will ultimately only have a negative impact on not only the the, uh, local economies, but the global economy as well. How does the the war, and it's actually a war going on in in Israel right now with the Palestinians, how does that affect the rest of Europe? So the uh, war that's actually going on is not with the Palestinians, it's with Hamas. And I think we need to all be very careful how we label this and how we say this. 
Uh, the Israelis have said they are going to do everything they can in order to knock Hamas out. That does not mean the Palestinian people. For its part, many countries are lining up behind the Palestinian people. For example, Al Algeria, Iran, Turkey, Qatar have come out and said that they do support the Palestinian people in this. In fact, there was a NATO meeting last week, and at that meeting, NATO condemned the terrorist attack by Hamas on Israel. Turkey was the only country that condemned it as an attack, but not a terrorist attack. At that meeting, in fact, NATO went on and said that Israel has the right to defend itself, but that the response has to be measured and in proportion, and that there are rules of engagement to protect uh, civilians. This was actually echoed by the EU's foreign minister, if you will, the commissioner who deals with the foreign affairs, Mr. Borrell, and he said that, for example, switching the power off and the electricity is against international law on a civilian uh, population, and that that should not be done by Israel. I don't think Israel is listening. I think Israel at the moment is very emotional. They had a lot of people of their own that died in this. So they are going to try to do what they can. Well, Hamas, Hamas has treated the Israelis just as bad as Adolf Hitler. Uh, well, yes, uh, Hamas in its charter does say, you are correct, that their stated goal is the elimination of the state of uh, Israel. So you, you are be, right Do you that. believe... Mario, do you believe that Hamas is taking their orders from Iran? I mean, we have talked about that the Wagner Group is really the Russian Foreign Legion. Is Hamas really the uh, Iranian Foreign Legion? So this is an interesting question, and I think the U.S. has done a very good job being very careful about statements it's releasing with respect to whether or not Iran was behind this. They have said that they have no proof that Iran was basically behind this. We do know that Iran did reach out to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and to Syria in the past week and asked them to actually side with it and with Hamas, and that this is an opportunity now for the Muslim world to join together. Does that mean they were behind this actual attack? I don't know, and I don't think anybody really knows. And I think we have to be very careful, Mr. Katsimatidis, about going down that road, because the reality is Iran is a very large country. It's a very strong country. Uh, just to give our listeners an idea about the size of Iran, in terms of geographic land size, it's We're now three producing times. 3 million barrels a day because of the United States cutting back their supplies instead of the one million barrels that they were producing a year ago. Yeah, well, that's another interesting point, and I'll get to that in one second. Iran that's, is that's a lot of money, Mario. That's a lot of money, Mario. It is, it is let a lot me of ask money. One additional question, because we're going to be uh, uh, about two minutes left, and one additional question is, is the reason that the United States is failing to recognize Iran being the culprit because they don't want to give a license to Israel to go in and destroy the, destroy Iran's nuclear capability. I don't think Israel realistically has the ability to do that because they know that re Iran would actually respond very forcefully, and that would actually be a very bad situation for Israel. Um, like, like I was saying before, Iran is three times geographically the size of the Ukraine roughly three times the size of Afghanistan. 
and America knows Afghanistan very well, and we've, we're seeing what's going on in the Ukraine. So now imagine trying to get involved in a war with a country that's roughly three times the size of the Ukraine, a country that also has Russia's back. I do want to close on one very important thing. We need to speak to the Iranians, and the only way to do this is through the Russians. So once again, we've come full circle. The U.S. and Europe need to sit down. They need to speak to the Russians. They need to have dialogue with the Russians. It's time to resolve the situation in the Ukraine. And while we're at it, let's also resolve the situation with respect to Iran, because like King Abdullah of Jordan has said, that unless there is a Palestinian state, there will never be peace in that part of the world. Mario Kanamu, thank you for your update, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you. Enjoy your day. This summer, dive into the many cools of San Antonio. Because as soon as the temperature rises, so does the fun, the flavors, the excitement, and the many cool things that make our city the perfect summer getaway destination. Come keep cool with amazing pools at the best hotels, refreshing adventures both indoor and outdoor, inspiring history and culture, culinary wonders, and the hottest nights of your life at the coolest spots in Texas. To plan the coolest summer vacation, dive in to visitsanantonio.com slash summer. Joining us now is Larry Kudlow, of course, the great host there on Fox Business. John, I know you've got some great questions for Larry. I want to just extend uh, the discussion with Professor Al Dershowitz, who is a good friend and a frequent guest on my TV show. What is missing here is the fact that the Biden administration has virtually suspended the sanctions on Iran. So when you look at the numbers, I mean, Janet Yellen yesterday said, oh, no, we haven't relaxed the sanctions. So you have to explain why their oil revenues have gone from virtually nothing to 60 or 70 billion in two and a half years. Or their foreign exchange reserves have gone from virtually nothing to about 75 billion dollars or their record sales of oil to China. You have to say, how did this happen? Well, the answer is they've essentially suspended the sanctions. And it's not only oil sanctions. They have suspended the shipping sanctions. They have suspended the banking sanctions. And they have suspended the commercial business sanctions. That is the reality. And by the by, those sanctions were mandated by Congress. And in fact, it was a bipartisan mandate through legislation. The bad actors on that sanctions list, North Korea, Venezuela, Iran, and then more recently, Russia with respect to the war on Ukraine. Now, these sanctions must be restored. And I think we had Senator Joni Ernst on the TV show just moments ago, and she's got a bipartisan group. They're very strong supporters of Israel, uh, and they may be able to reinvigorate the legislation and go to work right away next week on imposing sanctions. I mean, the Wall Street Journal called Iran the Hamas ventriloquist in the editorial page today. This is about Iran. And Joe Biden's speech on Tuesday failed to mention Iran. Now, I've harped about this every single day this week. All my opening riffs have been about this. But this is the key point. 
Alan Dershowitz is right. It would be great if we had bunker busters and went after the nuclear facilities. I get that. But before we get to that point, we should just restore the sanctions. They had no money. They had no money at the end of 2020 in the last administration, the Trump administration. I had Steve Mnuchin on the show tonight, former Treasury Secretary, and we talked at some length about this. So that's the key point. That's the key point. And let me tell you, Saudi Arabia doesn't want a big war, okay? The UAE, Abu Dhabi, Doha, they don't. The Gulf states want peace and prosperity, and they'd rather do business with Israel, okay? They don't want to have to be pulled back into some kind of Iranian Hamas Hezbollah war. But the United States has to stop financing Iran. That's the key point. And you've got Jake Sullivan and you've got the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, who have looked the other way. You've got Iranian cutouts inside the State Department and the Defense Department. Their whole policy towards making a deal with Iran was wrong from day one. And unfortunately, those chickens are coming home to roost. Uh, well, Larry Kudlow, you've said it. You've said it all. There's nothing else to say. I mean, I estimated that uh, Iran is taking in almost two billion dollars a week in oil revenues because of the of what we have allowed them to do. And the other thing, uh, uh, President Biden has refused to acknowledge that Iran is behind the Hamas situation, mm-hmm. which I believe it might be a, a signal to uh, Israel and say, well, you don't have permission to take out Iran's nuclear uh, capabilities. And well, uh, that, I don't what, what, I, I don't know that I wouldn't speculate just yet. I mean, the issue before Israel is to go in. Uh, The commandos have already in the war. The ground war has already started. They're in uh, Gaza City. The issue before Israel now in the next weeks and months is to clean out 5,000 Hamas terrorists who are armed, who surprised Israel. But that's their mission. And I have great confidence in the idea. Great. That's uh, point number one. Point number two, you just have to ask yourself. I mean, I'm watching Janet Yellen this undistinguished Treasury Secretary yesterday, and she's saying, well, we didn't relax the sanctions. So I'm saying to myself, I know what the numbers are. They've gone from roughly 400,000 barrels per day, John, to over three and a half million on their way to four million. And the revenue has gone from virtually nothing to about 65 or 70 billion in right. So you say to yourself, well, if we didn't suspend the sanctions, how'd they get this? Because the sanctions say, by the by, no shipping, no selling, no banking, and no business. And in fact, the secondary sanctions take them out of the entire dollar, U.S. dollar constellation. Over 90% of the world's transactions are done in U.S. dollars. The sanctions stipulate that third parties, not just U.S., but third parties, cannot do business with Iran if they expect to be included in the dollar universe, which is so-called the Fed wire and the clearinghouse banks. That has to be enforced. You start enforcing that, and you will turn Iran back to an economic basket case, which is where we left them three years ago. And, of course, they were instrumental in planning this and financing this Hamas invasion. So you've got 5,000 Hamas terrorists. You've got to clean them out. But meanwhile, Absolutely. you can go after the banker and the financier and the planner. Now, will the Bidens do break. that? I don't, I don't have... know if the Bidens will do it. All right, I'll get out. I'll shut Thank up. Thank you. We've got to go to a break. <laughs> I'm listening to you. 
I'll be listening to you on WABC tomorrow between 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock. Rita, I turn to you. All right, Larry Kudlow, thanks so much. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, that's with us every Sunday morning and, and allows us to relax, look up in the skies, and, and scratch our head, what the heck is up there? Uh, Steve Cates, tell us what's going on this week. Well, John, good morning to you and everybody listening to the Cats Roundtable. I'm still here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was over at the International Balloon Fiesta. They had about three to 400,000 people show up at this event, all about hot air balloons. But they asked me to be on stage with the local ABC affiliate here to talk about it. But I hope everybody in the New York listening area and around the nation had a chance to see the eclipse safely. That's an event that we'll be talking about. But it builds up, John, to the big event next year in April, the giant total solar eclipse in April. And we'll have more to say about that. But talking about the sun, we want to talk about something interesting today, John. The NASA, this Parker Solar Probe, has just reached a new and set a new record, a record for what? It's traveled faster than any human spacecraft built spacecraft ever in history. Get a load of this. Back in September, it races around the sun at 395,000 miles an hour on its 17th orbit of the sun. What's interesting about this, if in comparison, it's like if you could fly from New York City to L.A. in 20 seconds and the gravity of the sun, John, pushes this thing. This is great technology, amazing stuff as it helps us learn more about our sun. And, and we need to and know how more long about does it go? How long does it go on like that? John, it's going to continue for a number of years. But get a load of this, folks. John, it got closest to the sun of any space probe ever, only four and a half million miles, which if you and I were sitting in a spacecraft like that, we just simply wouldn't exist. It has so many uh, temperature uh, shielding things. Well, what do you think the temperature is? Well, it's estimating on the other side, the heat side of that, they're talking probably about 7,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is amazing that on the other side of this big solar shield that they have, the temperatures can operate in a near decent environment that electronics work. So that's amazing. Only a distance from one side of the spacecraft to the other of about maybe six feet, you have that much shielding. So great kudos to the scientists who've developed the Parker Solar Probe But the real reason it's there, John, is to help us learn more about the dynamics of the sun. And we move on to another story that's very much related and, well, everybody should be paying attention to. We found out in 1859 Uh, that we had this. Before before we move on, have we discovered anything new? We have, John. We've understood that the solar energy that comes off the sun, these coronal mass ejections, we're studying more about how we can see that they work. Now, here's a weird thing. The temperature of the surface of the sun, if there was a surface, is 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. They're finding out and trying to answer the question is, how can the outer atmosphere of the sun, called the corona, be millions of degrees in temperature? So they're understanding that there's a strange physics going on there, and it's all going to help us hopefully understand how these solar energy and these coronal mass ejections actually occur. And now, to talk about the second solar story here, in 1859, we had this massive solar flare. We all know about it called Carrington. But scientists are telling us that 14,000 years ago, an event that was thousands of times more powerful than that called the Mayaki event. So this is interesting, John. The sun is reaching a peak of its solar cycle. The sun's poles are actually changing. They're flipping. So we just need to know that we're kind of like in a, well, not a direct hit, but the sun's energy is just so powerful. And we live in this electronic world where 
we're so susceptible to these flares, but we're learning so much more about the sun, even though it's taken us so long to do it. Wow, that's, uh, that's some story. It is amazing. What's next? What and else? Well, we, when we talk about this, you know, this whole story about the mystery of the week, and this may sound very bizarre to people, but a gentleman that I had the honor of talking and interviewing a long time ago, his name is Rizwan Verk. He's a billionaire in the gaming industry. And he wrote a book called The Simulation Hypothesis. What he was saying simply, John, is that we basically live in an artificially created world. I know this sounds crazy when people are having their first, second, or third cup of coffee on a Sunday. If you look at the movie The Matrix, he's saying that we live in this simulation, that everything that is around us is already run by some sort of a force behind the curtain, so to speak. But a scientist is saying this even more specifically, and they're finding out that there's something called the second law of information dynamics. Now, this gets very complicated, but scientists are understanding through quantum physics, John, which is just so amazing. If we think one and one is two in our reality world, one and one may be three in the, in the cosmic realm in the world of quantum physics. So isn't that amazing that somehow, some way, we may all be living in a simulation that's controlled by some force beyond what we call simply like somebody behind the curtain. I find that totally yeah. amazing and maybe shocking. What, what do you think about that? Uh, well, yeah, you scratch your head sometimes. And people say that you know, we actually got created a half hour ago with all the memories. Absolutely. You said it best. And that's even simpler than what I tried to explain. Because really, John, nobody really knows. But it's fascinating as we explore and keep people's minds open and expand their minds on things that we may not necessarily think about with all the craziness that's going on and a lot of good in the world. But all the things that are going on in the world today, it's always good to take a reprieve from that and expand our minds. And we end off by talking about what people can actually see. So this week, John, we're approaching a meteor shower called the Orionids. They all come from the constellation Orion, of course. So if people look in the early morning sky, say around 3 a.m. to sunrise, this is the week right around the morning of the 22nd it peaks. But these are all pieces of Halley's Comet, one of the most famous comets of all. So if you're not going to be around in 2061 when Halley's comes around again, just think these little debris, this bit of debris that you see from the comet, well, it's all from Halley's Comet. Meteor showers are fascinating, John. And a lot of people get to uh, really relax and enjoy these. And I'm hoping the listen- listeners here of the Cats Roundtable can partake in it. That we look up in the sky and try to relax a little. Absolutely, John. We all need it. And we have so much to say, but I know it's limited time and appreciate your time always. More information at WABCRadio.com with the Dr. Sky Experience on all these great realms from astronomy, space, aviation, and weather. And, of course, John, closer to home stories of American exceptionalism that make our country great, and we continue to believe that. Steve Cates, have a great time uh, watching those big balloons and enjoying yeah. life, and we'll catch up with you again next, uh, next week. Thank you, John. A privilege and honor, and a good morning to everybody listening. Joining us now here on the show is the former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Everything happening in Israel. I don't know if there's any greater friend to Israel in America than you. This is a time for leadership. This is a time for moral clarity. Your thoughts, Mr. Speaker? Uh, You couldn't be more correct. Um, This is a time that we have not seen since the Holocaust. Uh, You know, those young children who were burned and babies and killed in in, um, the kibbutz, I was just there in February 22, taking a number of members, and I'd just been to Israel in May, speaking at the Knesset for their 75th anniversary, only the second speaker to ever be invited to do this. But what we have found is 
This is Hamas, and they must be destroyed. But this comes directly from Iran. You can't ignore one of both of those. And something that the president needs to do, the $6 billion is one thing about freezing it, but the billions of dollars that Iran gets comes from this administration not enforcing the sanctions that are already in law. When President Biden came to office, Iran was only producing 400,000 barrels of oil a day. Today, they're producing 3 million because he won't enforce it. And you got oil at $100 a barrel, they're making billions of dollars. The other thing we've got to make sure is make sure that Israel has all the arms they need to defend themselves and to destroy Hamas. The entire world needs to stand with them. I know where we're moving into is the ground, but we have to be 100% supportive and bring all of our allies together to defend Israel to get this work done. Meanwhile, the Biden administration uh, is telling Israel to delay its Gaza operations. Uh, What should be our attitude? Our attitude too should be we would support you in whatever you have to do to destroy Hamas. We've watched what has happened. This Biden administration, this wouldn't be taking place if they hadn't seen. They've been planning this for quite some time, especially after what happened in Afghanistan. This Biden administration should be focused on five point things. The first one is bringing back every single American hostage. We should change the behavior of this administration that no American will get left behind like what happened in Afghanistan. We should reverse what this Biden administration is doing, paying for our hostages. We should tell the entire world, if you take an American, there will be consequences for taking that American, and we're not going to reward you for doing that. This is John Katzman-Tedes. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable. Every Sunday morning, we'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.